Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Are the winter solstice, which is tomorrow, Hanukkah, which ended one week ago, and Christmas, which is Friday, connected by paranormal commonalities? What are angels? Is Jesus really the reason for the season? Well, hello, and welcome to the 618th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben. You know, I'm Paul. Uh, ben, we're hoping, will arrive at any moment. Uh, and those uh, festive questions have to do, of course, with our holiday season and the winter holidays in general, which we are in the midst of at, as we speak. And uh, this evening, we uh, bring you a subject, uh, which I just said, which is pretty much a December tradition on the show, uh, the Paranormal co- Connections of the winter holidays. And we welcome your calls. It's 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada. 401-766-1240 locally. Also, we will monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. That's Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com. So let's begin. The most ancient holidays mark milestones in the collective memory of the human race. That's what they do. Even if most people today take them lightly or don't appreciate their origins, and that probably applies to most of us, uh, we believe the paranormal is at the core of the experience and memory of our species. We often say on the show that folklore and myth are not just stories people made up. They are the collective memory of the human race. So do our winter holidays in particular have paranormal connections? The Celts who lived in the Iron Age and in medieval Europe, did not have a common language or culture, but they had similarities. They lived, uh, a lot of the uh, Irish people or French people today have Celtic uh, bloodlines, come, come from those bloodlines. Uh, one of these similarities was that they considered November 1st as the beginning of winter. So we can safely consider Halloween a winter holiday. In America, everyone seems to say, Happy Halloween on October 31st, but... How do you actually do that? Given what the day stood for in ancient human consciousness, having a happy Halloween would mean not dying. That's because the holiday had its origins in the realization that more people die in the winter than in any other time of the year, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Our remote ancestors were hunter-gatherers or simple farmers, not big-time geniuses like us, who can spend $400 a month or more to heat our houses in the winter. They were close to the earth and were very aware of the cycle of life and death, and this time of the year was the bottom of the barrel. Those in northern Europe believed that negative entities were most powerful on winter, winter's first day, November 1st, and their rituals involved wearing costumes to either scare these entities away or make them think the wearers were demons too. And late in the evenings, the people lit big bonfires to encourage the sun to return to full strength in the spring. That tradition carries on today in countries like Iceland and Scotland. It also became customary for people to leave gifts outside their doors to placate the spirits of the dead. The modern custom for costumed children to go from house to house for candy and the very saying of trick or treat comes directly from this need to placate the evil or mischievous spirits who had free reign on this day. Remember, Ben, when you were a little tyke, we would always get you these very interesting costumes, and you always wanted to stand out in front of the bushes, in the bushes, and jump out at people when they came to our house. It's because I wanted to be those spooky spirits. 
Oh, I see. Yes, uh, it all makes sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, a noble career uh, path indeed. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Uh, the Romans even got into the act. Their holiday of Feralia took place at about this time of every year. It honored their dead and also Pomona, goddess of fruit and trees. Now, it's funny, you know, you notice around here, Ben, uh, New England here, a lot of the, and pretty much anywhere in any of the older uh, communities in the United States, you have the Pomona, um, like, grange halls, yeah. which were places where farmers would meet. And uh, in a way, that's kind of a um, backdoor honor to Pomona, the goddess of, uh, of uh, fruit and trees. Hmm, I did not know that. See, you learn yeah, something you learn from something your father. Every day, yes. That's right. So Pomona's symbol is the apple, and that's one reason, and a lot of apple growing around here in northern Rhode Island. So um, that's one reason why we bob for apples on Halloween today. Now, Christianity came along and influenced these holidays, too. In the 7th century, Pope Boniface IV established All Saints Day on November 1st, and that was probably a deliberate attempt to Christianize the pagan holiday. That uh, happened a lot. And the church did it all the time, as a matter of fact, to make it easier for pagans to become Christians. And sometimes the pagans didn't have any choice about that, but that's why a lot of these uh, Christian holidays are on the same dates as pagan holidays or other cultures. Indeed. In some cultures, especially warmer ones, this time of the year has more positive connotations, such as Mexico's Day of the Dead. doesn't sound very positive, but it actually is. It's a day to honor and even visit with your ancestors, something we believe is very important for a good spiritual life and certainly for maintaining a healthy awareness of the multiverse and its all-pervasive life. Now, I don't know if the Mexicans are talking about the multiverse here, but, you know, we see that in a Indirectly, perhaps? Perhaps, yeah. Uh, People balance their observances of the season of death by celebrating a season of life as well. Ironically, this most often took place in the dead of winter, pun intended. The winter solstice on or about December 21st, this day, it's, this year it's December 22nd, it sometimes happens, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, is the day when the sun's position in the sky is at its greatest angular distance on the other side of the equatorial plane from the observer's hemisphere. Wait, isn't today the equinox? Or the, the solstice? No, it's tomorrow. Oh, it's tomorrow? Oh, Usually no. it's the 21st, sometimes it's the 22nd. Ah, okay. Right. Okay, so uh, th- that's what it is celestially, so so what? Most people today know that the winter solstice is the shortest day and longest night of the year. I can't wait till it turns around so I can take my walks in the afternoon again without running into sunset. Yes. Anyway, <clears throat> longest night of the year. It's the 24-hour period with less sunlight than any other, any other day. Uh, days then get longer until the summer solstice six months later, the longest day and shortest night of the year. And so goes the cycle. All that might not... I guess all that might not mean much to us moderns who live in completely artificial environments, largely oblivious to the seasons unless we have to shovel snow, cut off from the earth and each other, angry, pursued down the halls of life by paranormal parasites and the governments that don't want us to know about them or on that and other shows. And then we scratch our heads about why we just can't get happy. Well, to, to people from the, I don't know, I, I sort of consider them the real worlds, including the vast majority of our ancestors who cut wood, carried water, grew their own food, birthed their own babies, buried their own dead, and most of all, stuck together. The winter solstice meant life itself. That's because you can't raise crops with a few feet of snow on the ground. Haven't seen that here in New England yet this year. So the winter solstice might I actually meant at the beginning of the end of winter, that time of the year when food ran short, cold is everywhere, and it's toughest to stay alive. 
You knew that. You found out last year when you were commuting back and forth oh, to Boston. Gosh. Yeah, no, no. I found out the hard way. <laughs> and all the snow. Our, our calendar, which we got from the Romans, who weren't always the swiftest people on their hind legs, marks the solstice as the beginning of winter. But actually, it's the middle of winter. So to, we're actually right now in the middle of winter. And meteorologically, that's not too far from the truth, although this year it's kind of warm here where we are. It's midwinter's day in the cultures of many people. For northern people, winter, the season of death, traditionally began not at the end of December, but at the beginning of November, as we've said. So the winter solstice was the turn of the season of death. It was a time of hope because the days lengthened and people looked forward to the return of the sun and the prospect of spring and summer to come. The solstice represented the birth of the sun. Now, you already know that Christmas and Hanukkah fall around the time of the winter solstice each year. What you might not know is that so do 33 other festivals from various religions and cultures around the world. And virtually all of these reach back in one way or another to the seasonal joy of our Neolithic ancestors up to 12,000 years ago at the end of the last Ice Age. I think I might be glad to see the end of the Ice Age. I do tend to like winter, but glaciers creeping up to the doorstep, I don't know about that. Yeah, no, I I don't think I'd enjoy it either. Anyway, so um, we New Englanders gripe about shoveling snow, although not yet this year, but imagine the bliss of watching this glacial ice sheet recede from your back door, right? All this sounds more like celebrating nature than interacting with or using the paranormal, but don't forget that for our ancestors, nature was full of paranormal power mostly in the form of spirits of both good and evil. And these so-called primitive people realized two things. Humans are part of nature, not separate from it. And number two, most spirits can't be trusted. Okay, so let's move toward the ancestry of of Christmas, okay? Uh, Actually, I think we have a caller, so why don't we put Christmas off until Friday? Just kidding. We'll wait until we see what our caller has to say. Uh, hello, you're on ON 1240 and Behind the Paranormal. And who is this, Paul? As far as I know. Yeah, Ben there, too? Yeah, he's there. I am here. No, uh, listen, this, yeah, this is TB. My daughter sent you about two, three weeks ago pictures of something very unusual, strange things that happened at Twin Rivers. I don't know if you got it yet. Twin Rivers. Um, oh, is- right. Actually, I yes, I did. Country Bob, right? Yeah. Okay. I did. Uh, I have them out to our good friend, Mark D'Antonio, who is a photo analyst who helps us with these pictures. Yep. Uh, I think they're very interesting. There were three shots. The middle one is extremely interesting. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to get back to her when Mark gets back to me. He's usually pretty quick with these things. Because yeah, I just wondered, because I was my wife, I lost. Oh, okay. They, Bob, they do look extremely interesting. Um, I have seen things like that before. So has Ben. We tend to think you may have a world boundary crossing, you know, just at the time when you take the picture. But we'll see what Mark says. He tends to be very feet on the ground and kind of a killjoy. <laughs> we'll see what he has to say. Yeah, my daughter doesn't uh, smoke or drink or anything. And when she was here, yeah. And uh, when she showed me, in fact, I got a copy of my computer. Yep. yep. Yeah. I can't see her today, but nighttime, I can't make out the image. But a couple of people told me it was very, very unusual because there's three, four pictures taken, I think. And well, yeah. That one there, that really, really bizarre state of leave. I remember them, yes, because there are three shots. One, your daughter is standing by the Christmas tree there. Yep. And then the second one, there's this big white thing like crossing 
the field of vision. And yep. then in the third one, it's normal, and she's standing in front of the Christmas tree again. So that's because, like I said, my wife passed away exactly one month ago today. Okay, yeah, that's right. Your daughter said that. Well, yep. we are checking into that, Bob, and we will get back to you on it. Well, I'll keep an idea open. Okay, very good. Thank I'll you, keep sir. Your show. I enjoy it thoroughly. Thank you very much, Bob. You... Appreciate that. Yep, bye-bye. Okay. All right. Well, Bob called it a good time. We're changing subjects here. Right. So um, the ancestry of Christmas is kind of the feast of the unconquerable sun. All right. Now, Christmas is essentially a winter solstice festival. That's not a put down, nor is it any kind of denigration of the birth of Jesus Christ. But it is a fact that leaders of the early Christian church deliberately adopted pagan festivals, as we said. In this case, uh, the Roman solstice feast of Sol Invictus, that's Latin for the unconquerable sun, and they Christianized them. That was done deliberately. So as we've said, uh, this was done to help pagans become Christians more easily. At Christmas, church leaders employed a theological tool that comes across in English as a rather good pun. Jesus was proclaimed not only as the S-O-N, Son of God, but the S-U-N, Son of Righteousness. Just like you're celebrating a festival of the sun, you bring Jesus in, and he's the Son, S-U-N, of Righteousness. An image that they grabbed for the purpose out of the prophet Malachi in the Bible. I mean, it's Malachi 4.2 in the Old Testament. And why this happened goes even deeper. Christmas wasn't even a Christian festival until the 4th century. That's the 300s A.D., that's when the Emperor Constantine, supposedly the first Christian emperor of Rome, decided that he had to do something to unite his old, creaky, weakening empire. To understand what happened next, you have to realize that the ancients didn't think the way we do. Rome was generally very tolerant of other people's religions as long as they made some minimal effort to honor the emperor as a god. This wasn't because Rome's leaders actually thought the emperor was a god, but because such a universal concept could hold together an increasingly diverse society. The Christians wouldn't do this, that is, worship the emperor in any way, so they were persecuted off and on because they were considered a threat to the co cohesion of society. That was a serious infraction in the Roman world. And they didn't... Um, they didn't persecute Christians because they hated Jesus or didn't, that was, they didn't have anything to do with it. They thought the Christians looked toward a future world rather than wanting to be cohesive in the, in the uh, world as they had it then. And that was essentially the problem. It was a threat to the unity of the empire. Later, it became the religion of the empire. So Constantine, anyway, believed he had to find a common religion for all the people of the empire because, among other things, the whole concept of a divine emperor wasn't working anymore. In one of history's greatest ironies, Christianity won the competition over the religion of the unconquerable sun, barely. But part of its victory was Christmas, December 25th, when the annual birth of the S-U-N was replaced by the birth of the S-O-N. But what about that birth? The birth of Jesus is mentioned in only two of the four Gospels, Matthew and Luke, and the popular story as we have it comes mostly from Luke. Here we have the angels and the shepherds, beautiful singing that comes from the sky, and what sounds an awful lot like a UFO leading three astronomers to a little manger. Uh, there's nothing about a stable, and the Greek word used for manger could also mean crib. So if we're looking for possible paranormal connections, the angels and the star are good places to start. So what about that star of Bethlehem? It could simply have been what's commonly called a miracle. We have no problem with that. We see miracles all the time, and so do you, even if you don't realize it. Scholarly types, however, suggest that the star of Bethlehem was a nova or supernova. 
in astronomical terms. Uh, that would be an exploding star somewhere in the galaxy whose light happened to reach Earth at the time of Christ's birth. The problem is that novae or novas look like big stars and they don't move to, to our sight relative to other stars. Another issue is that we have very little idea of when Jesus was born. As I say, the December date uh, wasn't necessarily chosen because that was his traditional birthday. It was chosen to compete with the Roman Feast of the Sun. Scholars suggest that uh, Jesus could have been born anywhere between 6 BC and 3 AD. Uh, that makes it hard to match known astronomical events with his birthday. Now, the Bible insists that this star led the wise men from the east to the Christ child, who was probably two years old or more by the time they got there. I mean, they couldn't exactly take uh, Amtrak, you know. <laughs> I mean, get their um, tickets ready and yeah, exactly. to Bethlehem. Or get speeding tickets, whatever. Yes. Uh, the UFO theory has been proposed by some, and before we uh, laugh that away... Uh, we should consider the fact that most early Christians believed that Jesus was a divine being who literally came from and went back to the sky. While the ancients didn't share our modern nuts-and-bolts concepts of aliens and flying saucers, they thought they were putting two and two together. You know, so, you know I love it, Ben, how some people put two and two together and come up with eight, yes. and you can't argue with them about it, you know? Yep. So anyway, once the official Christian doctrine about Jesus was finally settled in the 4th century, we'll talk about that later, we still have a man with no human father who performed all sorts of miracles and who had literally ascended back into heaven carried on some sort of cloud. I mean, you decide. Most people don't understand that Christianity, especially with the over 20,000 denominations and splinter groups it has today, did not spring ready-made out of the Last Supper. There were many very different forms of Christianity, and most of them were at each other's throats for the better part of 300 years, and often after that. Some of them still are. There were many different written versions of the Gospels, some pretty outlandish. Eventually, by Constantine's time, St. Paul's version pretty much won out. The New Testament, as we have it today, was approved at the Church's Council of Nicaea in the year 325 A.D. Beliefs about Jesus being a spirit or only half-human were officially snuffed at that time. Nevertheless, groups like the Gnostic Christians, Gnostics is, it comes from the Greek word meaning those who know the truth, well, maybe they do, maybe they don't, and other quote-unquote heretics persisted in believing that Jesus wasn't even a material human being in the normal sense. So UFOs over Bethlehem? Take it or leave it. Finally, is Jesus the reason for the season? Well, I'd say yes. You can have the other winter holidays without Jesus, and they are the reason for the timing of the season. But if it's Christmas you're talking about, of course it's all about Jesus. What say you, Ben? No, I agree with that statement. And, um, I love having you on the show. You always agree with me. Well, not always. Uh, but, you know. A majority of the time I do. Yeah. Um, usually, no, I, I, sometimes I, you stomp on guests, but not on me. So well, I, I mean, I, I usually do that at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you and your mother gang up on me. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so what's, uh, what's the story with angels? They figure prominently in the Christmas story and uh, are well-known in our manger scenes and things of this kind. Well, in the Hebrew Bible, we sometimes see angels mowing people down and frying entire cities. But as the stern God of the Old Testament gave way to the more personable God of the New Testament, angels seem to get nicer too. Well, we, among many others, believe in angels, of course, though we might not accept the classical concept about what they really are. Uh, the life of myself, uh, to be specific, was once, perhaps twice, saved in something very much like an angelic experience, and rather dramatically at that. So many of our ancestors across so many cultures and centuries have believed in angels, and that deserves respect. 
we don't think that our ancestors were stupid. We think they knew a lot of things we don't know, and they do deserve a great deal of respect, and so do their beliefs. Anyway, angel comes from the Greek word angelos, meaning manager, manager, right. Western Union. No, <laughs> that would be handy for Western Union, wouldn't it? No, yes. messenger, not manager, messenger. Uh, archangel, like the Archangel Gabriel, just means chief messenger. Belief in angels is basic to Judaism and Christianity. It's one of the six pillars of belief in Islam. Mormons claim that their whole faith began with a message from an angel. Hindus and Buddhists look to divas or devas for help, D-E-V-A-S. <clears throat> By the way, can you guess how devas translates into English? Those with the shining faces. These are the mysterious people we've talked about on many shows as being the... Um, sort of very interesting characters at the beginning of the human race. And the word Elohim, the first word used in the Bible for God, means those with the shining faces. But that, again, those for other shows. We have lots of uh, pre-recorded shows on our website that you can listen to for nothing that yes. has to do with that subject. Indeed, this is all about uh, the, the holidays. Right. So angels, as we know them, don't turn up in sacred texts until after we begin emerging from deepest, darkest antiquity. The later the texts, the more positive these entities tend to be. In the Western world today, in fact, angels and their action among us are popular subjects. You know, you turn on some of these, uh, well, you go on the internet, all these uh, <clears throat> sort of uh, flowery mediums and psychics all talking about angels and the angels are talking. Maybe they are. I don't know. But I just, it seems a little sappy to me. I don't know. Yeah, I agree I with know. that. Yeah. Um, while people in the 21st century still kill each other in the name of God, unfortunately, just about everyone from most any religious background can relate to angels. I always find that very interesting. Mm. Perhaps because we haven't piled the complex doctrinal and sectarian baggage on angels that we've piled on God. Nearly everyone has a story about a close call or an impossible escape in which we knew that someone or something beyond ourselves was giving us outside help. In some cases, the experience is life-transforming, like it was with me. In other cases, it's life-saving, as it was with me. Yeah. But no matter what you call them, who or what are these helpers? Now, um, in our upcoming book, Cosmic Journey, that Ben and I wrote, uh, there's our first chapter, and we looked early on in the book of Genesis, we start with that, that the Hebrew word Elohim was used to interchangeably for God, God and his angels, and the angels, the lords of cultivation, whatever, we, we mentioned that already. You can read the book when it comes out. Yes. According to tradi tradition, Genesis was written by Moses, but biblical scholars today talk about the P, J, and E authors, depending on what style a given section is written in and what word is used for God. The P and E writers tended to use Elohim, that pesky word, and the letter J, later J sources stick with Yahweh or Jehovah. These are made up words based on the sacred tetragrammaton, the four known letters of the secret name of God, transliterated as Y-H-W-H or J-H-V-H, hence Yahweh and Jehovah. That's where so why, why the adding of the vowels? Oh, no, you wouldn't add the vowels because it, it, you, you you, it was, you couldn't say that. By the time Genesis was written, um, you couldn't say the name, uh, actually, yeah, you couldn't say the name of God without, you know, it wasn't permitted because it was so holy. Oh. So they would take the vowels out, and there weren't any vowels in ancient Hebrew anyway, but but the, the pronunciation would have vowels in it. You took that out because it was too sacred to say. That's where Jehovah or Yahweh came from. Oh. because it, they, Or Adonai, which essentially means Lord, because you couldn't say the, the, the secret name of God. 
Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Uh, fair or the, or the, actually, more specifically, the priest could say it once a year, the high priest, when he went into the Holy of Holies at the Temple of Jerusalem, because the, the temple was destroyed twice. But that he could say that once a year, and nobody could hear it, because he was in there by himself. Mm. So that, that's essentially what that was. So, um, here, but, but here's an interesting kind of reference from the early, the early part of the Old Testament, just before the Sodom and Gomorrah story in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham, who probably lived about 4,000 years ago, uh, th- this text refers to Adonai or Lord. And here's, here's the quote. And Adonai appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he raised his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, pass not away, I pray you, from your servant. So this Adonai, all three of him, then sat at a table and ate a large meal prepared by Sarah, Abraham's wife. And these are depicted, particularly in the, in the Orthodox East, as angels yes. sitting at a table having a meal. And that this was, is often thought of today as a, uh, as a uh, rendition of the Holy Trinity. Okay, I'm going to finish this, then we're going to take our break. So anyway, afterward, after eating this big meal, Adonai predicted that uh, Sarah and Abraham would have a child, even though they were, like, really old. The child turned out to be Isaac, considered the father of the Hebrew nation. Now, this sounds like a typical story of the intruders we meet in Chapter 1 of our book, Cosmic Journey, uh, another uh, day for a story for another day, especially because two of them continued down the road, proceeding to obliterate Sodom and Gomorrah in another attack that sounds awfully nuclear to me. Still, we're beginning to meet angels who aren't agricultural drones or rebels who lust after human women, but powerful, focused agents of the will of a God who appreciates human for their own sake. It's the first time we're starting to see this. And here's another quote, for I know him, Abraham, that he, this is God saying this, that he will command his household and his children after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment. Take it as you will, how angels are revolving in this. So well, let's take our break. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's beautiful and very mild Blackstone River Valley on this Christmas week, approaching Christmas. We'll be back with our talk of the paranormal holidays in just a moment. Stick with us. Megan Brady, and I'm inviting you to join YWCA Rhode Island Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for YW She Shines Radio, a program that celebrates the aspirations and accomplishments of women. For more information, visit sheshines.org. Owen Radio, Owen Worldwide. Okay, and we are back, and there are several charities Ben and I have adopted that we always talk about. We'll leave that to our announcements at the end. We'll continue with our discussion of the paranormal holidays, and we've been talking about angels, uh, various important figures in the certainly the Christmas story, but they tend to turn up here and there in lots of different religions. So let's talk about the Virgin Mary somewhat, because she is another figure who turns up in the Christmas story, very, rather importantly, to say the least, rather critical uh, position there. So Islam is much younger than Judaism, and it postdates even Christianity. Muslims believe that revelations were given to the Prophet Muhammad for a little over 20 years, from about 610 to his, birth, his death in 632 A.D. Teachings were passed on orally for about 43 years after that, then they were written down, eventually resulting in the Quran we have today. 
That makes it a very recent document compared with the others we've dealt with, and it sheds light on a more recent development of our understanding of angels. Uh, in the Quran, they're called malaika, or those who are made from light. Remember that term, uh, those with the shining faces? That's interesting, too. Okay, well, we're going to stop right there. We have another caller. Hi, welcome to WOON and Behind the Paranormal. Hello, Ben and Paul. How are you? Oh, better than nothing. How are you? <laughs> Not bad. I enjoy your show. I listen to it all the time. It's uh, very entertaining. I you know, get a kick out of it. Well, and, good. Uh, yeah, but I, I just want, I want to share an experience I've had with you guys, okay? Not okay. With, I'm sorry, not with you guys that I've had. That uh, I guess it, it's on the realm of paranormal. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, I never claimed to have seen a ghost, right, or anything like that. But it was this was last winter, okay, in the dead of winter, one of those sub-zero winter nights. Okay, I was in bed. You know, my, my wife was there too, and you know, I live I live nearby, next to this uh, in the vicinity of uh, Great Road. Okay, that's in the town of Lincoln. That's right. Yep. Okay. Lincoln, Rhode Island, folks, for those of you who live in New Zealand or somewhere. <laughs> All right, and what I heard, I never, is it sounded like rocks clashing together, but the echo seemed to go on forever, all right? And they, the echo would go on, and it seems like the, the, the rocks, the sound of the rocks clashing together, they would get farther and farther away very quickly, all right, to the point where it, it sounded like it was miles away, and then... Suddenly, it was back again. It sounded like it was very close. You know, I woke my wife up. I said, do you hear that? And she says, yeah, I've been listening to it. All right? And this happened for, for two nights, you know, in, in sub-zero weather. And since then, I've never heard it again. But it sounded like almost like uh, some kind of communication. That sound, that's really fascinating. Now, the, you know the first thing that comes to mind? What? And... Uh... Ben is not looking at me here, but I think probably uh, something seismic, and I'll tell you why. I grew up in Connecticut, and we had the moodest noises. They sound like exactly what you just described. Oh, really? We have, a lot of people don't realize, I found this out when I was on the Coast Guard, and I was up in Boston at the base there many, many years ago, and they had just built a new support center for the ships, the big ships. And uh, they said, oh, this earthquake proof. And I said, what, Why? He said, oh, don't you know that this that New England is earthquake-prone? Very small quakes, usually. We haven't had a major quake since 1735, but that, that knocked down most of Boston. Oh. And uh, in eastern Connecticut and Rhode Island here, we have a lot of small faults. And very okay, Now, remember all the, all the earthquakes that had in eastern Connecticut last year? Right, yep. Yeah, or earlier this year. Um, people said, what's this? You know, But it's very normal. So you may have experienced a very slight fault. But did you feel any vibrations at the time? No. Because you often don't. You'll hear the sound, but you won't feel the vibrations. Okay. Now, barring that, it may very well have been something paranormal. Were you asleep at the time? No, no. Actually, did it wake you up? It did wake you up. Oh, my wife. Okay. Okay. And your wife heard it too. Okay. Um, I would, I would lean more toward the seismic aspect possibly. Uh, or it may be just something, you know, when you're on the cusp of sleep, sometimes just waking up, just going to bed, uh, you'll hear voices. Yeah. But, uh, but his wife woke up at the same time. Oh no, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's the thing. And there were no little gray men in the room. No. Good. Okay. Glad to hear that. Okay. So, 
Uh, what, what do you think, Venom? I, I'd lean more toward the seismic thing, but uh, other people might have reported it too. That's the thing. I'd, I'd want to know if they, if your neighbors heard yeah, it. Yeah. But this is also New England where people don't want to be weird, so you probably <laughs> won't get anything out of them. It doesn't bother us. We're weird think, as you can get. Okay. I don't think I'd want to ask my neighbors. Yeah. But, uh, I, I even, you know, I looked in the paper the next day to see if, you know, if anything, especially seismic, like you said, because we were thinking of that. Maybe yeah. Some kind of something uh, subterranean that was making that noise, but uh, it was nothing. We didn't hear anything of it. Well, okay. Well, well the, the next question might be, has any other thing happened that is odd or even seemingly unrelated to the rock sounds? Anything strange in the house? Anything strange while you're in the house, out of the house? Yeah, I have to say no. Okay. But it, but it, right. was, uh, it was very, very strange. I mean, the, yeah. the sound, it, would, it seemed like it was probably right out in the road, and then all of a sudden, it seemed like it was miles away. Yeah, that, that, that's what these things sound like when they're oh, seismic. Okay. Well, yeah. it might have been. Okay, and sometimes uh, you know they're heard in a very limited area, and uh, especially at that that hour, other people might have been asleep. It didn't wake them up, yeah, or it did wake them up, and they didn't say anything about it. Yeah, two nights it happened to two nights. Two nights, two nights in a row. Uh, I don't think so. I think it was like a, a, a skip a night and then the next okay. night, from what I remember. All right, but uh, it was definitely it did happen. Okay, I know that. I I would say just offhand that it's probably uh, seismic. Okay. But let us know if anything else happens. I yeah, will. no, definitely. Okay. Well, oh, thank you guys. We won't tell anybody. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Bye bye. Thanks for calling in. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Merry to, Christmas you too. to you. Yeah. Bye bye. Okay. So, uh, uh, on that note, let's uh, get over this rocky ground here and talk more, uh, a little bit more about angels. Yes. So, believe it or not, the angel Gabriel announces the birth of Jesus to Mary not only in the New Testament but also in the Quran. In the Quran, it has a whole chapter on uh, on Mary, uh, the Surah, Surah Miriam, Surahs being are the chapters in the Quran. Uh, Malaika Jibril, or the Muslim name for the angel Gabriel, Archangel Gabriel, appears to Miriam in the form of a handsome man. Matter of fact, the Quran talks more about Mary than the Bible does. And uh, I'm going to skip some of this because we're going to run out of time here. Yes. But anyway, we have a benign angel doing God's bidding for the good of humanity. And uh, but you can't ignore the suggestion that that's in the actual text uh, that infuriates many Christian theologians and believers alike. Now, the whole point in Christian theology is that Mary was a virgin when she gave birth to um, Jesus. And, and the Muslims believe the same thing. But they have they have like an angel, like a handsome man um, doing the what, you know, being Jesus father almost and representing God. And the Christians have a problem with that. But the point is, you've, you've got angels becoming nicer and nicer here uh, as time goes by. So, um, and here's a little bit where the kind of the multiverse idea comes in that we talk about, which we believe is the background of the paranormal. How could Jesus be the creator, which is, Christians believe Jesus is, was actually the creator, was created, the universe was created through Jesus, okay? Even though he wasn't born yet. But how could he be the creator and still be born as a man in Palestine, begotten through an angel who was virtually equated with God. And the only way to explain that would be the paranormal and its possible engine, the multiple worlds interpretation we just talked about, the multiverse. Time and space have no objective meaning across the worlds. Things can and do take place before whatever caused them. Christ can exist before being born, and then so can all of us too. And we have a lot of clergy and a couple of people who are with good theological educations who like this show because they like that explanation. Not that you have to explain everything, but we happen to run into explanations in our um, work in other areas of the paranormal. Right. 
So anyway, the presence of angels in ancient texts usually is a signal that something miraculous is going to happen. And uh, this word miracle comes from the Latin miraculum, which means something wonderful. And before that, it's considered traceable to the Indo-European root smei, S-M-E-I, meaning smile or laugh. So miracles are supposed to make us happy. And a lot of people consider everything that happened on Christmas, the first and preceding, you know, to be absolutely wonderful. So Christmas, I suppose, too, as a miracle, is meant to make us happy. I'm going to skip a little bit here. So um, let's, uh, again, talk about um, something that's more relevant to Christmas. Ebenezer Scrooge. Let's change the subject from uh, ancient texts to dear old Charles Dickens and his his, uh, wonderful book, A Christmas Carol. The ghosts of Christmas past, future, uh, past, present, and future were traditional characters made, uh, many of us grew up with. Especially we... Muppet Christmas Carol. <laughs> That's right. I like that. Yeah. And saw dramatic renditions of that, Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, including by the Muppets. Uh, you grew up with that, I guess. I did. Very yeah. much so. Of course, we don't believe that Bickett Dickens was trying to be paranormally punctilious when he wrote the story, but he did put his finger on the fact that many cultures have considered the time of the winter solstice and even Christmas itself as a sort of opposite of Halloween. It was a time for good spirits to roam free and bring happiness to people, sometimes in the form of gifts. The custom of leaving cookies and cakes out for Santa Claus comes from this. Instead of trying to buy off the bad spirits with goodies, as at Halloween, Christmas treats are meant to attract the good spirits. These spirits were believed to include people born on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. As a matter of fact, people born on Christmas are said to be more likely than others to have paranormal experiences. Other Christmas traditions that come directly from the old winter solstice beliefs are the evergreen tree as a symbol of the rebirth of life, and the Yule log, you don't see too many of those in Rhode Island, as the fire encouraging the return of the sun. Then there's mistletoe, which has a deep sexual symbolism, of course. As everyone knows, if you find yourself standing under some mistletoe with someone of the contradictory gender, you're supposed to kiss. The Romans and the Celts took this seriously and considered mistletoe a symbol of immortality and fertility because it was always green, even in the winter. And as such, it was venerated by the Druids, who believed it had great powers of rejuvenation. And even today, some people think uh, that it's uh, helpful against cancer. And there's, I believe, even some evidence to to that effect. Uh, There are certain traditional party games now associated with Christmas, but these were first played in pre-Christian times on the winter solstice around December 21st, or in this case, 22nd, when it was believed that the sun or the sun king was reborn and were very popular in medieval through to Victorian times. And we thank our good friend Cassandra Eason, the British folklorist and prolific author, for the following information. Cassandra has been on the show many times. Here are two of Cassandra's favorite romantic games you can do alone or play on Christmas Eve or Christmas night if you have guests staying. Even the old married people, like your mom and I, Ben, uh, or committed couples will enjoy them, like you and your fiancé, okay? There there we go. Offer slices of Christmas cake, uh, she doesn't say what that is, and each person must walk upstairs backwards (laughs) eating the piece of Christmas cake. It's actually fruit cake. Oh, okay, well, I won't make any further comment It's not, I was making a joke. Oh, well, it could, uh, why not? It could be fruitcake, who knows? So anyway, walk up the stairs backwards if you're not too tipsy from having too much cheer. Anyway, place the crumbs beneath your pillow. Uh, You will dream of your true love or a secret admirer, but you must tell no one. She's very adamant on that. Uh, Another tradition is you serve baked apple with cream, of course. These are the British we're talking about. And have a bowl of holly sprigs ready. We have a holly bush in our yard. We can do this. 
Everyone must take a sprig of holly and put it beneath the bed head in the center. Traditionally, it was sewn or pinned to the night attire, but this can be a bit hazardous, especially if your guests are too merry. That's M-E-R-R-Y. Sit up in bed and eat the baked apple, and you will talk or more to your true love or secret admirer in your dreams. Even if you are sharing a bed, uh, have your own holly leaves to have your secret dreams, each person. And no telling, or you'll turn into the Christmas frog. I know that's a joke by Cassandra. There, there <laughs> is no Christmas frog, I can assure you, children. Uh, nor, although I do believe in the birthday fish. But that's, oh, this anyway. next point, I was gonna, I was gonna bring this up due to the the uh, the uh, new resurgence in the interest in Krampus. Oh yeah, yeah. No, go yes, ahead. Yes, do it. Yes. Well, no, I, I just think it's it's a very odd little tale from the Alpine region of the world. Very much so. Yeah. yeah. Pre pre Christian idea that there was a, a spirit that would punish bad little boys and girls. And it's actually terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lately, and um, mostly through a popular movie, North Americans have become aware of Santa's evil twin, uh, Krampus. This person is a real legend in, Hul- in Hungary, Bavaria, and uh, Slovenia. Hungary. Uh, Hungary. Yeah. Uh, Hungary. Yeah, there's too many well, in there anyway. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> and also Austria. Krampus's alleged job is to punish all the children on Santa's naughty list, but it was actually a pre-Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of like the polar opposite of the St. Nicholas tradition. I like so on that polar. De- I see what you did there. Ah, yes. Yeah. Ha yeah. ha. On December 5th, uh, in areas where the Krampus legend is popular, men dress up in devil costumes and run around hitting people with sticks. <laughs> How nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Well, anyway, so, all right. So what about Santa Claus? And, and, and you were a witness to this. Uh, the true story of Santa begins with Nicholas, who was born during the 3rd century in the village of Patara in what is now southern Turkey. Who also punched out Arius at the Nicene Council. That's right. He was president at this Council of Nicaea we talked about earlier. <laughs> Don't jump, jump the gun. I'm sorry. At the time, the um, we're putting the, the uh, sleigh before the reindeer. Yes. At the time, the area was Greek. Nicholas's wealthy parents raised him as a devout Christian, but they died in an epidemic while he was still young. He literally believed and obeyed Jesus' words, sell what you own and give the money to the poor. Nicholas really did that. Uh, to the sort of the, the disgruntled, I don't know, the, the upset, his relatives were upset about it. Nicholas used his whole inheritance to help the needy, the sick, and the suffering. He dedicated his life to serving God. He became a priest and was made Bishop of Myra, also in, now in, in what is now southern Turkey. And while he was still a young man, Bishop Nicholas became known throughout the land for his generosity to those in need, his love for children, and his concern for sailors and ships, oddly enough. Under the Roman Emperor Diocletian, who ruthlessly persecuted Christians, Bishop Nicholas suffered for his faith, was exiled, and was uh, put in jail. After his release, he attended, as Ben just said, the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 A.D. You probably never heard of this first ecumenical council or meeting of important church leaders, but it was where the Bible, as we know, it was put together and Christian beliefs as we know them today were formalized. So it's pretty important if you're a Christian. Nicholas died December 6th, A.D. 343 in Myra and was buried in his cathedral church where a unique relic or artifact formed in his grave. This, they found this many centuries later. This was a liquid that had healing powers, and it fostered the growth of devotion to Nicholas. The anniversary of his death became a day of celebration, St. Nicholas Day, and we always celebrated St. Nicholas Day in our house. Ironically, we? after the, the day that Krampus is uh, celebrated. <laughs> Which was December 5th. Yes. St. Nicholas is December 6th, and you always got little presents on December 6th, so you were all for it. I always appreciated it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So... Here we are, nearly 1,700 years later, and devotion to St. Nicholas is as strong as ever. 
how much love do you have to have? How many wonderful things do you have to do? And how much joy do you, do you bring to people for your memory to glow brightly through the better part of 2,000 years? What a man. There are countless stories and legends of Nicholas' life, uh, life and deeds. These accounts help us understand his extraordinary character and why he is so loved as protector and helper of those in need. One story I really love is considered the origin of the modern tradition of hanging stockings or placing shoes by the fireplace on Christmas Eve. As the story goes, a poor man and three, had three daughters that, who had no dowry, and dowry was something of value you had to offer prospective husbands so he could marry off your daughters, right? The larger the dowry, the better the chance that a young woman would find a good husband, and without a dowry, a woman was unlikely to marry and could very well end up being sold into slavery in those days. Mysteriously, on three different occasions, a bag of gold appeared in their home, providing the needed dowries. Now, these bags of gold tossed through an open window are said to have landed in stockings or shoes left before the fire to dry. This led to the custom of children hanging stockings or putting out shoes, eagerly awaiting gifts from St. Nicholas. Now, you found gold in your stocking many times on Christmas morning, didn't you? I mean, it was chocolate. But... Okay, well, that's gold. <laughs> Sometimes the story is told with gold balls instead of bags of gold, and this is why three gold balls, sometimes represented as oranges, uh, are one of the symbols for St. Nicholas. And this is why we hang these shiny balls on Christmas trees. Yes. That was the origin of that. And St. Nicholas became the model, of course, for gift givers. So I don't know. Personally, I, I really love St. Nicholas, and I think that long after the horrors of uh, modern times are gone, his memory will shine brightly still. Uh, there's always the issue of telling your children that St. Santa Claus is real, then having them find out later that he isn't real in any normally accepted sense of the word, and maybe having them think you lied to them. Now, we always got around that with you and your brother by telling them about St. Nicholas instead. He certainly exists in every sense of the word, whether you believe in heaven as some spiritual state or being state of being for blessed people, or whether you accept the multiverse theories of physics, I guess you have no choice about that in our house, uh, that all times, places, and people are, exist simultaneously. St. Nicholas and his love and protection are very real. And I have to say this, and you remember this, Ben, there were years when our boys, when you and your brother were children, when there were things under that Christmas tree on Christmas morning that your mother and I did not put there. We have no idea to this day where they came from. So I'm not saying necessarily some guy with a sleigh ride, but, you know, St. Nicholas, you know, th th these things, these people, these concepts, these worlds are very, very powerful, and they are the background of our whole lives, and I think there was something wonderful about that. Mm. So there is, uh, we haven't got much time, but there's Hanukkah, of course, which ended one week ago today, eight-day feast. And contrary to what most people think, it is not the Jewish equivalent of Christmas. Uh, nowadays, you might see a Hanukkah bush or tree in a Jewish home, and uh, they may be exchanging Hanukkah cards and gifts. We send Hanukkah cards to our Jewish friends. Uh, but that's primarily because Jewish kids saw what their Christian friends had. Um, they had a good thing going at Christmas, and they realized what they were missing. Yeah. yeah. So commonly known as the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah is only about a century and a half older than Christmas, and it comes from the Hebrew word for dedication. Like most Jewish feasts, it marks a historical event in the life of Israel, the successful revolt of the Jews led by the Maccabee family, one of their leading families, against the Greek Seleucid Empire in 165 B.C. Now, everybody's got that information on the tips of their tongues in our modern schools, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, that's not an event most people would have, you know, would know about. The Greeks had prevented the Jews from practicing Judaism. Not a good idea. After their victory, the Maccabees led the rest of the nation in reestablishing Jewish worship in the Temple of Jerusalem, 
This involved relighting the great menorah or sacred candelabra. And here we have something miraculous or paranormal, if you prefer, right off the bat. In their retreat, the Greeks deliberately ruined the sacred olive oil used in the menorah, but despite the fact that there was only one vessel of pure oil left, the menorah burned for eight days anyway. Hence, the Festival of Lights, something that definitely conjures up winter solstice connections. One of the deceptively simple accoutrements of Hanukkah is the dreidel, a little spinning top that's generally considered a children's toy. Now, written on different sides of the dreidel are certain Hebrew letters. Many people don't realize that this toy had the very serious job of secretly teaching Jewish children about their faith before the Greeks left. From a paranormal standpoint, some say it means more. Followers of the mystical Jewish tradition known as the Kabbalah believe that the dreidel can be used to probe the primal forces that drive human behavior. Some even believe it can predict the future. So if our winter holidays and their origins are any indication, the human experience is truly shot through with the paranormal, whether angels are involved or not. Okay, so <clears throat> what are your thoughts, Ben, on this? Uh, when you were growing up, um, and your knowledge of the paranormal, even from an early age, did you... Uh... Well, I mean, I never really questioned Santa, and I never, I, because I was, I don't know, I never felt the need to. I never once took you to see Santa Claus, and you never sat on his lap. No, I did once. Did you? Mom took me once. Oh, your mother? Oh, I'm going to have a word with her when I Lincoln get Lincoln Mall. Oh, okay. I remember okay. that very vividly, and I remember, oh, I forgot what really? I asked for. I think I was like two or three. It was the 90s, I remember, because I was wearing crazy patchwork clothing. I do have a photograph of you with the Easter Lapidorf. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's point there. The Easter Leprous, if you will. Yes, uh, otherwise known as Rabbit. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, 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 um, I, never, I never felt the need to question it, because you, you and Mom always, sort of, always explained it in a different way, and I remember kids in like middle school were like, oh, Santa's not real, and I was like, no, nah, he totally is. Yeah. They were like, no, he's not. You're stupid. Well, they didn't call me stupid, but they were just like, no, it's dumb. And I was like, it's not. Then what about the concept of St. Nicholas? Did you explain it? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I had trouble talking to other kids as it was. So, so. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I, plus, we, came from, we come from sort of different ways yeah, of thinking. Yeah, that was the thing. I, I attempted to explain it, as I recall, from my childhood. And it, I don't think the, the message like translated well enough. Hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just how I talk. I I feel like I don't make sense sometimes. I understand you. Well, fair. Well, you're my dad. If you don't All understand right. me now, then that would be awful. Maybe nobody understands either of us. That's a, that's right. a good point. Then. Well, your fiance you know, understands you. Kinda. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Kinda. Sometimes. Right. Okay. I'm a, I, I'm a weird kid. Well, you're a good kid. I try. Anyway, I try right. to be. So anyway, so St. Nicholas is the way. So th that's our suggestion of uh, your parents and uh, people often write to us from all over the world. How do you do it? with something in common with your son. I mean, it's not that difficult. No. Um, you know, one thing, and this is off subject, but one thing I cringe, and everybody does it, I hear fathers calling their sons or their, you know, buddy. Hey, buddy. Sporto. <laughs> They're not your buddy. They're your son. You are you are their parents. You are not their friends. I mean, you're their friends in a very deep sense. But I just treating your children as equals, I think, is very, very bad. And asking, oh, why don't we do this right now? No, we used to tell you, your mom and I would tell you, we're going to do this right now, okay? I enjoyed it. Yeah. And uh, it was made plain how you were to act, say, in the market or the store. And you had you got one little thing, and we went there, and that was it. And you never even, you learned not to ask for more stuff, and you um, waited until St. Nicholas showed him, put all that mysterious stuff under the tree. Oh, that was awesome. No, but seriously, um, I, we could do a whole show on how to be a parent. That's really not a paranormal. paranormal parent. Paranormal parent. Yeah, exactly. You write, so, a, write a self-help book. Exactly. But that, that that's a point for another day, and we'll move on to our announcements. Yes. So you can find out more about our show, our public appearances, 
and at more at BehindTheParanormal.com, uh, which we recently learned is rated one of the top websites in the world for visits and use. That's in the top millions out of about, uh, what is it, four, 544 million on the planet? In the world, supposedly on the planet, yeah. Yeah, that's impressive. So at our site, you can uh, discover 650 free podcasts of past shows on both ON1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. You can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook. If you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, however, I'll be happy to sign them for you. Hopefully Ben and I will be signing our new book soon, and uh, Cosmic Journey. And you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also on our websites, you'll find direct sites to several charities Ben and I have adopted, including USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, also Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things for at-risk youth out there, and most recently, Help for Haiti, which we will be telling you about more about in coming months. Uh, youth Mentoring Connection, by the way, at youthmentoring.org. There are two recent books that would be of great interest to our listeners. One is The Bell Witch Project, which contains that story, and also a few contributions by yours truly on historic paranormal cases here in New England, including the mysterious 17th century specter leaguers of Massachusetts and the 18th and 19th century vampire hysteria, believe it or not, in Rhode Island and Connecticut. Of special interest to folks here at ON 1240 in our listening area is another Beckley book, UFO Repeaters, with an entire chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, talk show host here for, on ON 1240 for over 50 years and a uh, UFO expert from the 1960s. Most recently, I contributed to the newest book by Tim Beckley and Sean Castile, a tome with the eye-grabbing title, Timothy Green Beckley's Spooky Treasure Troves, UFOs, Ghosts, Cursed Pieces of Eight, and the Paranormal. Now, I only contributed a few paragraphs on why things can be haunted, quote-unquote, and why extraterrestrials might conceivably be interested in gold. And there are a lot of interesting practical reasons for that, uh, but I got my name on the cover anyway. But uh, that's, that's an interesting subject for a show. You know, if we were to travel to other planets, would we not be interested in gold? So... Take it or leave it. I mean, I, th I think, I think that, like I've like I've said before, I think it's unfair to assign human traits to non-human entities. Yes, even greed, I suppose. You know? Yes, yes. So, but who knows? You know, they aren't necessarily totally. You know, we may have descended from some of them, but again, off to, off off subject. Indeed. Anyway, all three books are available on Amazon.com, or use the links at the online bookstore at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com. So next Monday, December 28th, we will bring you uh, one of our ever-popular open line shows to answer an ever-growing number of questions from listeners on all sorts of paranormal subjects. Okay. So um, as we um, take our leave this evening, we have a long quote to, to say, but we certainly want to wish everyone, we hope our Jewish friends had a happy Hanukkah, which I said, as we said, ended yesterday. For those who celebrate the solstice as such, happy solstice tomorrow. And certainly Merry Christmas uh, from all of us here at ON 1240, especially Ben and I, uh, on this Friday. Indeed. Merry Christmas. And uh, we'll wish you a Happy New Year next week because we, yes. we'll be back then. And speaking of next week, as Ben said, an open line show. So we leave you with this evening with a thought from the 19th century Scottish author Hugh McMillan. Nature looks dead in winter because her life is gathered into her heart. She withers the plant down to the root that she may grow it up again, fairer and stronger. She calls her family together within her inmost home to prepare them for being scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And uh, you can look him up on the net. He's a pretty, pretty cool guy. Indeed. We still call. have a couple seconds left. Yeah. Okay. We do. Uh, anyway, I'm Paul Eno. 
and I'm Ben Eno, and we still have still have a couple seconds left here. Well, and, wish, uh, wish, wish people your own good wishes, Ben. Uh, I will. All right. I, I would like to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays, and soon it will be a new year full of all sorts of new paranormal information. And don't forget about our website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find all sorts of fun facts about us and all sorts of cool information. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and have a very Merry Christmas. We will see you next time. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.